Well, good morning, church. Sanctuary, True Worth, online. We are so glad for all of you to be here. I'm going to start out with a couple of exciting announcements. The first one is next week, 5 p.m., June the 2nd, you get to come and celebrate Chris Bohan's ordination. Give him a round of applause. Chris has been working so hard, so please do consider this your official invitation to come celebrate with us, celebrate with him, um, because he is just awesome. He loves all this attention, too. I'm sure I'll hear about it later. The next thing is, is we really hope that you noticed some adorable cutouts of kids and students as you were walking in. Did you notice those? So that signals to you that we as a family ministry team are ramping up for the summer. Now what that means is, is that all school year long, we have small group leaders that invest in the lives of children and students. And when summer gets here, by the way, it is finally here. When summer gets here, we let all of those small group leaders have a break and we bring on a summer crew to invest in the lives of children and students. We have about 300 kiddos that come and worship in their own special, unique way every Sunday. But guess what? Next Sunday is the first weekend of June. And we are still looking to fill 100 spots for small group leaders because the kids are still going to come. But we invite you to please, if you've been thinking about where God may be calling you to serve this summer, even if you thought it was with kids or not with kids, we encourage you to stop by and have a conversation with Family Ministry right after this service and just hear what being a small group leader for, for kids and students are all about. Please do that. If I have not had the chance to meet you, my name is Cheyenne Davis. I serve here on staff as the Director of Parent Ministry. And as a person on staff that works with families all the time, I have loved this sermon series. Have y'all been enjoying it? Being the total package. Man, we all want to be the total package, right? So what we're going to do today is super exciting for me. Not sure if it's going to be exciting for you, but we're going to address addictions. And if you're not ready to call something an addiction in your life, I respect that. Let's call it a distraction. Because if the enemy cannot come, kill and destroy us with an addiction there's a slight chance he may be stealing pivotal moments from our lives with distractions. And I'll frame our time here. We're going to do three things together today. The first thing that we're going to do is we're going to see how God already defines us as the total package. The second thing we're going to do is we're going to get really general and define some things and list some things and think about the people in our lives and ourselves. And then the third thing that we're going to do, and the third thing is where you actually start to use your message notes. The third thing is we are going to get very specific and very personal. And on that third phase is where I'm going to, I'm going to share my recovery story, not, not so you can learn about me, but so that you can understand that if there is something that you brought today that is hidden, that's wearing you out, that's causing you problems in your life. If you have brought something like that with you today, it's important to bring it to light. It's important to say it out loud. And that's what we'll do in our third portion. 
If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. We would love to put a Bible in your hands. You can borrow this Bible. You can keep this Bible, but raise your hand up high if you need a Bible. Once you get your Bible or you can turn on your Bible app, we are going to Psalm 139, verse 13 and 14. And this is a book that David wrote. And David, man, David understands some things. He understands that he doesn't have to be perfect, but God has created him to be the total package. And in verse 13, he says this right here. For you created my inmost being. So that means all the things that you like about yourself, God created. All the things that maybe your family don't like about you, God created those too. For a purpose. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. So you took careful, loving attention in how you created me. And verse 14, I'd love for y'all to read this out loud with me. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full and well. But do you really know that? Do you really know that you're fearfully and wonderfully made? That's what we get to figure out here today. If you believe that about yourself with every fiber of your being, or is there something in your life that keeps you from understanding that you are the total package that is fearfully and wonderfully made? God doesn't call you to be perfect, but he already does call you the total package. Go ahead and move over to the New Testament in a book called Ephesians. Ephesians is a tiny book. I love Ephesians because when you're trying to figure out what it looks like for you to follow Jesus, Ephesians is a great book to kind of wrestle with. What does it look like for me personally to follow Jesus? We're going to be in chapter 2, verse 10. And in Ephesians 2, verse 10, it says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Huh. Do you think that we can categorize everything that we have said, done, or thought under the umbrella of good works this past week? Maybe you can. Or maybe there's something that's keeping us from realizing that we are created for a purpose. And through Jesus... We can do the good works. Let's get really general about what we're talking about today. We're going to define the word addiction. And addiction is a complex condition, a brain disease that is manifested by compulsive substance and dis substance use despite harmful consequences. If you have ever battled addiction or if you have ever loved someone that's going through addiction, a couple of thoughts may run through your mind. One, they're never going to get better. Or two, why can't they just get better? Or why can't I just get better? And the, the definition of addiction sounds a lot like the definition of insanity to me, which is we do the same things over and over again, but we expect different outcomes. See, when you're struggling with an addiction, you're not even thinking about the outcome. All you're worried about is the now. And there's something that you have to satisfy that is more urgent than what God may have in store for you. Last week, we got to hang out with Angel and Kim. 
and they mentioned a word called dopamine. So we're going to define that word for us today because it's an important part of addictions. And dopamine is a neurotransmitter in the brain, and it is associated with the feelings of euphoria, bliss, motivation, and concentration. So all the good things, right? Who doesn't want to feel good? I've never met someone that says, gosh, Cheyenne, I'm having a bad day. Okay, guy, what would you like out of your day? I want it to be the most terrible day I've ever had. No one ever says they want to have a bad day. No one walks up to you and says, gosh, I really wish my life would get worse. They always walk up and say, hey, my life isn't going that great. I wish it could get better. And when dopamine is released in our brain, we automatically feel better. And so whatever we do to trigger that release in our brain, our body and our minds want more. But is what our body and mind wants what is best for us? And sometimes in our spiritual journey, what we want and what is best for us are two different things. There may be some of you in this room that your addictions are out in the open. You have accountability partners. You have people in the trenches with you that will pray with you in spiritual warfare. And then there may be some that are still hiding their addiction. And you may be hiding it thinking, I'm in control of it as long as no one can see it. And control is absolutely an illusion. So that's, that's our hope today, is that if you're in recovery, if you haven't even thought about recovery, that you understand that church should be the place where you come to wrestle with that. Church should be a safe place where you bring all your brokenness and all your baggage and you wrestle with what you believe and what you don't believe. There's hope always at the end of the tunnel when God is involved. And we're going to put a list of addictions up on the screen so that you can see. And as we start looking at these, now it's time to start shifting gears and thinking about, do we know someone with this problem? Is this a problem that I have? You'll see the usual suspects up here, alcohol, nicotine, meth, cocaine, prescription pills, heroin, porn, sex, gambling, and shopping. Prescription pills, I hear justified all the time. Just because you're prescribed something does not mean it's okay you use it whenever you want to. When my recovery story started, it started with pre prescription pills. And it's because if it was in my home, surely I had permission to use it. Let's go ahead and talk about porn because that's super comfortable, right? Yeah. It's never going to get comfortable to talk about pornography, okay? If you are waiting to have the conversation about porn until the day that it is comfortable, you are going to wait forever. The first time that kids see porn, the average age right now is 11 years old. I looked at another study. By the time kids are 14, 94% of them have watched porn. And porn is not a gender-specific addiction. So many times people just think, well, it's the male addiction, and that's not true. I started watching pornography at 11 years old. No one was having a conversation with me. 
I didn't know what I was watching until I started thinking about this idea of marriage and I understood that what I had been watching for the majority of my entertainment life was totally different than the things that were being framed in this book called the Bible. And pornography is one of those things that you can hide it really well. But you're not just damaging your heart and your mind. It puts a strain on relationships, even when people don't know about it. Bring it to light. Get an accountability partner. Let's go ahead and let's define what distractions are. Raise your hand if you've already been distracted by something before you ever got here today. Yes, distractions, it's here. The definition of distraction is something that takes your attention away from what you're supposed to be doing. So even if you don't have an addiction, can we all agree that maybe there's something in our life that gets more attention than it should? We did a little research, a little listening, and a little watching, and here are some things, and this isn't all of them, but here are some things that maybe distract us from what we should be doing. Cell phones, social media, games on our phones, video games, binge-watching TV, relationship hopping, and food. Food is a huge distraction for me. If someone were to put a soft pretzel and queso right here on this table, you guys would cease to exist. <laughs> like you're gone. But isn't that what addictions and distractions do? You're totally more important than a pretzel. But if it was right here, I'm scared to know what I would pay attention to the most. So distractions, cell phones. Let's just talk about cell phones, can we? I keep waiting for there to be a cell phone support group. Like, it is coming. You just mark my words. It is coming. Because on our cell phones, when we are uncomfortable, used to in a social setting, we would have to lean into the uncomfort and maybe have a conversation with a stranger that God strategically placed in our path for the day. Now with our phones, when we are uncomfortable, if we encounter an uncomfortable situation, the conversation is not even possible and we escape into our phones. Cell phones are a great thing, but are we navigating it well in our families? Parents with teenagers, I hear all of the time, my kid will never get off the phone or off video games. I agree, that's an issue. But can we get a little real and think about this? Before teenagers become influencers of behavior, they have been influenced by a behavior. Are we as a church displaying the behaviors that we should? When we leave out of this space, are we looking around to see all the wonder that God has placed in this space? Are we checking our phones? And I have a problem with my cell phone, trust me. From Monday through Friday, I hand my phone over to my husband because I have a problem with my phone. And I say, I don't want my phone back until 8 o'clock tonight. Cell phones are a big deal. Social media, social media is huge too. Because you have the, you have the illusion that you have a thousand friends. But when stuff goes down, those thousand friends are not there for you to process your bad season. Distractions are a part of all of our lives. Paul says it really well in 1 Corinthians 10, 23. You can travel there 
or we're going to read it together on the screen. I really encourage you that if you do have a habit, a hang-up, something that steals more of your time than it should, this whole from 23 all the way down to 31 is a great read. And it's kind of sectioned off as the believer's freedom. And that's what we're all called to. We're called to freedom. We're called to abundant life. Are there things in our life, though, that maybe get us hung up? Paul says this. He says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. And I've said this before, and it sounds like this maybe in our lives. I can do what I want, but not everything is good for us. So now we get to take a real hard look, and we are going to get very specific, and I'm going to give you examples of what it sounds like to be personal, because if we are dealing with something that we are either hiding or out in the open, if it truly does steal moments from us that God has gifted us to use elsewhere, we have to bring it to light. Go ahead and head over to James 4, verse 10. And as you are thinking about what we are about to discuss, think about you. Don't think about your spouse. Don't think about your teenagers. Don't think about your kids. Don't think about your parents. Don't think about your brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles. Think specifically about your life and what could be causing you to not see yourself as the total package that God has called you to be. James 4.10 says this. If we're going to get real, get specific, and move some things out of our life where God belongs, we need to humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Humility and pride cannot exist in the same place. So I kind of reverse that verse, and I say, we have to check our pride at the door, and we have to name my addiction or distraction. So in your message notes, number one, name my addiction or distraction. You'll see three lines underneath number one. If you know your distractions and your addictions, list them there. And if you don't, if you're still working through them, that's fine. You can work through it for the next few days. There's life steps to help you get there. But name my addiction or my distraction. I put currently my phone and my food are my biggest distractions. And if you have an addiction, let's stretch you a little bit farther. And can you pinpoint when it began? Getting personal sounds like this. For the majority, I had an addiction for seven years. For the majority of my addiction, I thought that my biggest problems were in my 20s. And as I started trying to piece my recovery story together, I realized that it didn't happen in my 20s. It happened all the way back to when I was 15 years old, when I started allowing myself to be addicted to whatever I could find. And at 15, I started rebelling, and my mom was at a loss of what to do with me. Can any parents of teenagers relate to that? Just at a loss. And because because my mom was at a loss of what to do with me, she decided that if she could not parent me, she would become my friend. And at 15, she thought I was already using drugs, so at 15, she introduced me to marijuana, 
and she took me to get my first tattoo at 15. Because that's what you do, right? When kids start rebelling, that sounds logical, doesn't it? It does not. Don't do that thing. Nobody do that thing. But here's, here's the tricky thing. We have been talking about mental health all sermon series. When you allow mental health issues to go unchecked, the line between what is right and what is wrong is very blurry. And my mother loved me with every piece of her being. But because she had had mental health issues her whole entire life, when things got rough, the line between right and wrong was blurry. I didn't like marijuana, so I started popping pills. It was ephedrine, and at that time, you could get them at gas stations. That's the base ingredient for methamphetamines. When I started, I was only taking two a day, uh, two a day every Friday, but when I stopped taking those pills, I was taking two a day Monday through Thursday, and the last Friday that I took them, I had taken 13 pills in a 12-hour period. The only reason I stopped is because people started asking questions, and I almost got caught. See, my life was spiraling out of control, and I thought the only piece of my life that I could control was what I did to my body, and that was the only balance that I knew. And my life did not line out after that at all. In your message notes, number two, one of the biggest ways that we can humble ourselves and allow God to do whatever it is he needs to do in our lives is we have to admit that I am not in control. I'm going to pick on cell phones again. If you think you're in control of your cell phone, leave all the noises on, leave all the notifications on, and throughout the day, if it buzzes or dings, don't answer it. And if your phone is truly not a problem, surely you won't answer it. If you think that you are in control of how you use your social media, do this. Post a picture on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and don't check it for a week. <laughs> oh, that's hard. Oh, it's getting real now. Don't check it. And I know some of you have already got the perfect picture to post. And if you think that that's a ridiculous thing to ask, you either don't have Snapchat, Instagram, or Facebook, or maybe we have just named a distraction that you don't have the control over that you think. Get real with how you're naming these things in your life. So the whole control thing, you know control is just an illusion. We don't have control over any of it. And if we actually do have some control over it, take a look at it. I'm sure it's not in the best shape that it needs to be. But control was an illusion for me. And as my life was spiraling out of control, during high school, I drug two teenagers out of my house that were unconscious from drinking. And I stuffed them into the cars of their parents. And I watched their parents' faces as they looked at their kids and wondered if they were going to be okay. I never got caught. I had an agreement with the local police. And so my prayer for my kids is if you do something wrong, if you step out of line, oh, God, I pray that you survive, but I pray you get caught. Because that was another problem that I had. At 17, I met the love of my life. And it wasn't a person. 
It was methamphetamines. And I would have given my life, and I almost did a couple of times, just to be high. Meth was my company. Meth was my comfort. I didn't need anybody else. But I thought I was still in control. I thought I was living my best life. And surely if I wanted to quit, I would quit. That was the illusion that I'm living. If you have ever experienced addiction or if you have ever watched a family member struggle with addiction, you, as you look at them, I know you think it's crazy, but they really cannot stack up to an outcome that is any different than what they've already chosen. Help them bring their addictions and their distractions to light so that we can all deal with them. The third thing in your message notes is so hard for so many people. And I watch it even on, even on levels where there's not distractions or addictions present. Some of you may have heard this as just ask for help. Some of us who are control freaks we don't, or perfectionists, we don't like to ask for help, do we? Because we can do it better and faster than having to ask or explain it to somebody. Okay? Message note number three is just allow myself to be rescued, oftentimes from ourselves. If you're defiant and rebellious like I am, you don't have to ask for help. But can you allow yourself to think about being rescued from some of the darkest parts of you? I think there's a couple of different types of faulty thinking when we really try to wrap our minds around rescue. And the first one is, is maybe you're not ready to be rescued. And I think that is a definite emotional location when we are talking about moving from addiction to redemption. Faulty thinking. I'm not ready to be rescued. I've been there. I had controlled my addiction really well until I got to my 20s. I used to journal more so than I do now, just so I could journal the days that I slept. In three years, I slept five days a month. Three years. And I had gotten very sloppy. And I had been taken to the doctor on this day that I remember, maybe I'm not in control. I went to the doctor, and I remember standing on the scale, jumping on it, trying to make it look like I weighed more than I did. I weigh a healthy 130 pounds that day that I went to the doctor, I weighed 88 pounds. My doctor took me into his office and he said, Cheyenne, you have two options. You can either go to a facility or I'm gonna put you in one. And I went. But see, I was addicted not only to the drugs that I was on, I was addicted to this illusion of control. And so in rehab, I wasn't ready to be rescued. I just learned how to hide it better. And rehabs help a lot of people, but I was not ready to be rescued. The second type of faulty thinking that people that are having problems experience is they get to a place where maybe they feel like they do not deserve to be rescued. Let's be clear. If we all got what we deserved... I'm pretty certain God would not have sent Jesus. But God doesn't operate based on what we deserve. 
God does not operate based on our behavior, our mistakes, or our choices. That's called conditional love. And conditional love is, is if you do this, then you'll receive my blessing. That's not how God works. God has an unconditional love for each and every one of us, and there is not a thing that we can do or say that will keep him from recklessly chasing after us so that we can experience rescue in his presence. God loves us that much. But I get it. I've been there. In 2004, a year before I got clean, in 2004, my dad was dying of cancer. He he had all the nurses, uh, all the nurses had called us in at his side. The time was near, and for some reason, still unknown, and I hadn't slept in weeks, so my mind was very foggy. For some reason unknown, I decided it would be a great idea to go back to my apartment that was 30 minutes away from my dad. I had a friend come pick me up, and she took me to my apartment. And when we walked into my apartment, she started tapping me on the arm, and she was sitting down. This was a bad girl. You couldn't tell her nothing. She would plant drugs in your car and call the cops on you. That's what kind of person she was if, you, if she got mad at you. And for her to be sitting down being quiet was really strange. And my mind was so messed up. I finally stopped. And at this time, all of my friends were dealers and meth cooks and a lot of thieves. And I had noticed that one of my friends that was a meth cook had broken into my apartment. And he was in my kitchen, and he was making meth. And he would brought a buddy along with him. And I thought we were cool. So I went on about my business with my friend, and then I saw it. He had cocked a 9mm, put his hands on his hips, and the gun was pointed at us. And I looked at him to check for reality, and I could tell he hadn't slept in a long time either. And I just had this feeling that if we were to walk out of my apartment, there's a big chance he would have shot us. And so I took my phone out and I set it on the table. And back then, phones were so obnoxious. Like this was a little silver Nokia, and every time it rang, it just spun in this obnoxious circle. Like it was, it didn't matter where you put it, it just spun. And so I put the phone on the table, and that seemed to make my cook friend happy, but as soon as I set my phone down on the table, it started to ring, and it started to spin that loud, obnoxious circle, and my friend reached for his gun again. It was my mom trying to tell me that my dad had taken a turn. When my friend saw that I would not answer the phone, he went back to his work, and my mom called after every ending of every call, and every call he got a little bit more twitchy. But we sat there still. I made it to my dad's side 24 hours before he passed away. When I got back, I had four family members greet me at the door. And they were so heavy with grief. And they were so tired of my mess that they told me exactly what kind of person that I was. And they were right. And I thought, surely a person like that does not deserve to be rescued. And I'm so glad that God covers all of our mistakes, all of our darkness. Um, I, I never was suicidal, but 
I always thought if I could just die high, that would be awesome. I would be okay with that. I remember sitting in my bed, surrounded with drug paraphernalia, and I really believe I heard God speak to me. I didn't ask for help, but I heard this voice, and the voice was not mine, and the voice said, just ask me to take this against your will. And the phrase was so unfamiliar to me, I repeated it, and I said, just ask you to take this against my will. The first verse that I memorized in my recovery is Matthew 11, verse 28. We can put that on the screen for you. And Matthew 11, 28 says this, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And on that day, April 2nd, 2005, that's all God required of me. Are you weary? Check. Are you burdened? Do you have some problems that are weighing you down? Check. Then just come and experience rest and restoration in me. And I've been clean ever since. It's not easy. Every day I have to wake up and say, I'm not going to abuse substances today. Every day I get to make that choice, and I am privileged to make that choice. If you've got something that's just exhausting you or wearing you out, listen to the words in Matthew 11:28. Just go, rest, and experience rescue. The last thing in our notes is always the most important thing. And it's trust God and follow Jesus. And here's what I know about the people in this church, this very specific church right here. When bad things happen, there are some people that their faith game is so strong that you can almost see how much they trust God and follow Jesus. But then there's some people that may be in this room, and I was like that as well. For five years after my, after my clean date, I was like this. Maybe something in your life has caused you to have trust issues. And it's really hard for you to see that God has a plan for you at rock bottom. It's hard for you when you watch the news or even in your life and your family. It's hard for you to understand that God exists even when bad things happen to good people. I get it. Trust issues, they're a big deal. And if you're having problems figuring out how to trust God and follow Jesus, just keep showing up to church. And if not this church, any church. Because church should be a place where you can bring all your brokenness and all of your baggage and wrestle with every piece of it right here. Church should be a safe place where you can think about the things that you believe and you can wrestle with the things that you don't believe. Paul gives us some amazing hope in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. You can go there with me. You can read it on the screen. And Paul says this, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. So you're not alone. 
in your brokenness and in your darkness. You are not alone, so don't be alone. Bring whatever it is that you may be hiding to light. If you take it to someone and they don't listen, take it to someone else. You are not designed or created to do this life alone. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And what this says to me is that everybody in here, some of us may have a past, and that is okay. Through Jesus, you don't have to live there anymore. So you've made some mistakes. You are not the sum of your mistakes. You never were. You never will be. Through Jesus, you can experience the life that he is calling you to, and it is good. It is important to know that even when we don't believe in ourselves, we have to believe that God has something immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine in tomorrow, in the next moment, because God created you to be the total package. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, created in Christ Jesus to do a good work. Let me pray for you. Father God, we come to you today and we just bring it all to you. And we thank you so much that of all the places in the world, God, in your presence is where we can bring it all. And even in this room, someone might have brought something that is broken inside of them. Someone might have brought some baggage with them. Someone has a darkness that they're hiding in them. God, and I just pray that you surround them with people, that they can bring it to light. I pray that if there's not people around them to help them bring it to light, God, I just pray that they experience your comfort and your presence because through you, all things are possible. God, I thank you so much that we are all who you say we are. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are your handiwork, created to do good things. And we trust you with whatever it is to come. We love you and we thank you. Amen. You guys have a great rest of your weekend.